0: Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.
1: We've all heard the stories, whether it's Buck O'Neill telling the tales of Oscar Charleston.
2: Oscar Charleston could actually could do it all. The closest thing to Oscar Charleston, this is what we old-timers say who saw them all, the closest thing to Oscar Charleston was Willie Mays. The closest thing to Oscar was Willie Mays. Oscar had a little more power than Willie. Oscar was a little quicker than Willie. Oscar's arm was a little stronger than Willie's. And Oscar's range was as good as Willie's.
1: Or Joe Black telling the stories of Josh Gibson and Satchel Paige.
2: It had to be Satchel Paige, Josh Gibson, Buck Leonard. Satchel Paige could pitch. When he got in the big leagues in 40, and he's 40, he had control. Then uh, And then in, 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 in Josh, the stories you hear about Sash and Josh, 90% are true. Most of the other guys, 90% are live. Josh could hit. I mean, when he were in the Negro Leagues, Campanella was never starting catching in the All-Star game. It was Josh, big 6'3", 225 pounds, hit and run. But he came in our dugout one day and told the manager, he said, Andy Porter, old Josh going to hit you over that fence and that fence. And- you know I feel good tonight. <laughs> I think I'm going to take you over that center field fence, too. He got two out of three. hit the left field fence. The ball hit off the right field wall. Next time, straight away center field. But it wasn't
1: until December of 2020, Major League Baseball did something we all already knew. Finally elevated the Negro Leagues to Major League status. Bob Kendrick, president of the Negro Leagues Museum in Kansas
3: City. Tremendous pride. Uh, I reflect obviously and naturally to my dear friend, the late great Buck O'Neill, who was the architect of building a Negro Leagues Baseball Museum and a legendary Negro Leaguer in his own right. And every time we hit one of these milestone moments like that, I reflect to him uh, because I know how proud he would be. But I think we carry that same level of pride at the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum and the Negro Leagues family by and large very proud of what we're seeing this level of recognition the level of engagement around the negro leagues and the negro leagues baseball museum is at an all-time high and so we are so honored to be part of what led us to that epic decision in december when major league baseball announced what we've known all along is that the Negro Leagues were a major league.
1: Larry Lester was a co-founder of the Negro Leagues Museum and one of the foremost historians on Negro Leagues baseball.
3: Well, it was a bittersweet
0: moment in that it was bitter that it took so long for them to recognize what I already knew about the greatness of these ball players. The sweetness is that it finally happened. I didn't expect for it to happen. It was a surprise to me and others. I never campaigned for the inclusion of Negro League stats or the elevation, as they call it, to the major league level, but I accept it and I welcome the opportunity to share uh, new information with baseball fans.
1: So, one of the most important aspects of the new designation of the Negro Leagues, stats and records of all players will be part of Major League Baseball's history.
4: The stats came from the Seamheads Negro League database. Now this is a database that has been under construction for, for many, many years, decades even. And uh, Baseball Reference recently acquired the database so we could show it on Baseball Reference. And that was uh, the work of a, a lot of researchers. It was uh, Gary Ashwill, uh, Scott Simkis, Mike Lynch, Kevin Johnson, Larry Lester. They all did a ton of work uh, to put this database together. And we acquired it, and now we were able to present it on our site. That's Adam Dorowski
1: from BaseballReference.com, a site you can go to right now to look up Josh Gibson or Satchel Paige or Monty Irvin or any player from the Negro Leagues era.
4: This project means so much to all of us that are working on it. And just to to make sure that we did it right too, we had so many experts working with us. We had uh, Bob Kendrick, we had Larry Lester, we had Sean Gibson, the great grandson of Josh Gibson, working on this with us. We had players like Adam Jones and Andrew McCutcheon reviewing it to make sure that we were presenting this data in the most respectful way possible to tell the story of the Negro Leagues because we want to tell the stories of the context in which these games were played while also showing the stats of these all-time greats.
1: But how did the stats get there? It's a story that spans decades.
0: I was curious after I got out of college in the early '70s. Uh, I knew about Satcher Page because I went to school with his with his kids, and Buck O'Neill was wife was my grade school teacher, and I grew up in the neighborhood with a bunch of Negro League veterans. So I was curious to see if the stories matched the stat, and so I spent a lot of time in the library looking at microfilm and. Making notes, uh, pencil, pad, and calculator, because we didn't have the uh, computers or internet back then. And I would just hand calculate statistics, game by game, player by player, season by season. And uh, I enjoyed doing it. I like working with numbers, and uh, it was a labor of love.
1: Gary Ashwell from SeamHeads.com, who've provided these stats to BaseballReference.com. And his journey goes back a long ways.
5: I mean, it goes way back to the 1980s, you know, when I was a baseball fan. I was growing up in Kansas City as a fan of the Royals, and uh, and I was a little bit of a stats nerd, and may um, street Bill James's baseball abstracts and, and so on. And uh, at some point, my mom gave me a copy of uh, Only the Ball Was White by Bob Peterson, which is sort of the... Classic first, um, you know, history of black baseball in modern times it was published in 1969. But uh, she gave this to me when I was a teenager, and I was, I was, uh, I just thought it was the most fascinating thing I'd ever read. And I couldn't help but notice, you know, I had all these baseball encyclopedias and, um, well, you've got all these numbers for uh, the white major leaguers and you can pour over their careers and their, their numbers and, and so on. But you couldn't do that with the black ballplayers. And there wasn't at that time. Uh, this is the early 80s. Uh, there was nothing, uh, no statistical record anybody had published you know, at all. So I'd always had that at the back of my mind. Like, I was just really curious about it. And over the years, uh, you know, some of the great historians of black baseball, like Larry Lester and Dick Clark and John Hallway, uh, started coming out with some numbers that were published in various places. But there was still not a comprehensive encyclopedia anywhere, and you couldn't really analyze the numbers the way you could with uh, the white majors. So, you know, it's just something I'd always been interested in. I collected everything I could. Uh, It was kind of a hobby of mine. But it wasn't until... Uh, around the year 2000, I was in graduate school, and I noticed that the library where I, where I was doing some research, uh, not related to baseball, <laughs> uh, had microfilm copies of some of the great black newspapers like the yeah. Chicago Defender, Pittsburgh Courier, and so on. And kind of on a whim, I got some microfilm reels down, uh, started checking through them and realized that there there was just tons of material there, box scores all over the place. And I just kind of started photocopying stuff. And eventually, I just started compiling stuff. And eventually, I was asked to join um, a statistical project that the Hall of Fame was doing about this was about, what, 17, 18 years ago now. And this was the one that they did prior to the Special Hall of Fame election they had in 2006. This was sort of the first modern attempt at a comprehensive you know, Negro League encyclopedia. So I did, I did some contributions to that. And then eventually, uh, a friend of mine, Kevin Johnson, um, approached me. He was working for a website called Seamheads.com, And he said, why don't we just bundle up all your stuff and you know, presented on our website as an you know, yeah. actual uh, database. I also approached Larry Lester and Dick Clark because uh, they had continued to work on their material over the years and to enhance it and, and add to it. And so we wound up folding their material into our database. And so there you go.
1: The amount of stats and box scores that have been unearthed through the years is staggering.
5: Eventually, I got into
0: the IT field and I designed a database to input all my data. And I can run a report that shows me how many box scores are in my database. And I came up with about 14,000. And that goes all the way back to uh, post-Civil War uh, African-Americans have been playing baseball since the Civil War, so it's all documented. I didn't do it overnight. I spent a lot of time in the library and a lot of time in front of my computer, and uh, sometimes I would stay at the library until 9 o'clock every night when they kicked me out and uh, making microfilm copies because I didn't have the Internet back then. A lot of dimes went into those microfilm machines to print copies.
1: And the hunt continues today.
5: Because the Negro Leagues themselves uh, only published... Statistics occasionally. Um, you know, black publications, uh, black newspapers in particular, tried to cover Negro League baseball as much as they could, but they tended to lack space. They, they were mostly weekly newspapers and said, so best they could devote two or three pages a week to all sports, right? So you didn't really have something like, say, the sporting news uh, for white baseball or uh, the annual uh, baseball guides that you would have that would publish all the statistics. Uh, you know, comprehensively for you know for the white majors, so basically, just even though the leagues did keep track of statistics it often was simply not published, so because there's no central source, we've got to go and track down uh, box scores for individual games <laughs> and wow. uh, that is you know quite a task because there is no place, not even the Library of Congress, that has all the newspapers that you need for this <laughs> so uh, so it does involve, in some instances, traveling all over the country. If it's something that you can't, you know, have shipped to you, you can use interlibrary loan. Um, you're looking at reels of microfilm and scrolling through it and trying to dig dig up, you know, these games one by one. So it's quite a labor-intensive process. Uh, it really takes, you know, takes a lot of work, even just to get the box scores in the first place. You know, that's not even considering. The amount of work you have to do after that to, uh, you know, produce a good record out of these box scores, you know, because you have don't have an official box score necessarily you might have different box scores in different newspapers, different publications, you have to sort of collate them and put them together and try to figure out when there are, uh, you know, discrepancies, <laughs> when they disagree with each other, when they're missing information, you know, how do you deal with that? So it's quite a process finding stuff, you know, interpreting it, getting it all into a, you know, a, a comprehensive record um, you know, it's just it's it's a lot of work.
1: As this small band of historians bring these legends to life, each of them latch on to a special story they will always hold dear. Whether it's Larry Lester with Bullet Rogan.
0: One particular player was uh, Wilbur Bullet Rogan in researching the 1924 season because that was the first year of the Colored World Series, uh, I came across the name Rogan. And it was quite interesting. As I went from game to game, he would have two, three, four hits every game. And he was pitching at the top of the rotation and batting cleanup. So I'm like, who is this guy? <laughs> Just And I calculated his batting average and his pitching. And at the end of the season, he's batting over 400. And he won, I think, 15 or 16 games that season, which is quite a – bit when they only play a 60 or 70 or 80 game schedule so i was just blown away by this two-way ball player who batted cleanup and it was the ace of the pitching staff he was the original otani i mean he was he was playing every day two-way just like uh otani was is otani is doing today so otani is not original uh and A lot of originality comes out of the Negro League.
5: Or Gary Ashwell on his favorite story hunt. Most old newspapers, the way we access them now are through microfilmed versions Mm. of them. The problem is is that means the newspaper was microfilmed at some point, it was photographed. And if something went wrong in the course of photographing the paper, uh, that screws up the record for everybody, right? So, for example, I was looking for box scores in the Cincinnati Inquirer for the 1921 season, which is a season when the Cuban Stars, which is a team of Cuban players, they were members of the Negro National League, and they actually used Cincinnati's Redland Field as their home field. So they were based in Cincinnati for that year. Found 25 or 30 box scores for the Cuban Stars and Cincinnati newspapers for that year, one was microfilmed, I believe, out of focus, <laughs> so you could barely <laughs> read it, right? So it was like impossible. You just look at it, it's like it's a blurry thing. The other one was was microfilmed, and they cut off like half of it. So you just had half the box, uh. right? So I was like, oh, what do you do about this? So what I actually wound up doing is I contacted the Cincinnati Public Library, and I asked them, I was like, well, do you, do you still have – the physical copies of the newspaper, like, or do you just have the microfilm? Because, in a lot of instances, libraries would microfilm their newspapers and they would like throw away the original papers. And they just have the microfilm left. That's all they have, right? Uh, in this case, I was lucky enough to find out that, in fact, they had you know, the original newspapers, they were bound into volumes down in the basement. And a librarian there actually went down, <laughs> looked up these games and was able to, you know, photocopy the pristine original box scores that were not out of focus and not not half cut off, you know, so, uh, so I was able to dig that up, you know.
1: Or Adam and the first page he looked at on baseball reference.
4: I think that Josh Gibson and Oscar Charleston were the ones that I, I really wanted to see because we hear, you know, that. From uh, Buck O'Neill called Oscar Charleston the best baseball player, period, of all time. Josh Gibson, you know, just a five-tool catcher. You don't have those in the game. They're just amazing. But we knew about them. I think what I've really loved seeing is the players that I maybe didn't know as much about. Some of them Hall of Famers, some of them not. But now we have these stats, and it's just unbelievable.
1: So next time you look up the stats of cool Papa Bell or Rube Foster or Buck Leonard— or Smokey Joe Williams, or Leon Day. Just know the time, the effort, and the labor of love it took for you to enjoy those numbers.